everybody welcome back to the combat chain i'm your host patrick shaw and today is a very special day because we got people all over the place first we have my intrepid co-host who is in a very special spot adam where are you i am in the inferno known as las vegas i las vegas i can't stress how hot it is here it is so hot like i know you gotta be used to like parkas and now you come down to just hell on earth. Yeah, I, I live in the northern northernmost city, the northernmost major city in Canada. <laughs> so, yeah, it's hot. <laughs> you, you only see the sun three months out of the year, and now you're just you're in the sun. It's like it's every be definitely. Uh, the, like the sun's hot, the pavement's hot, the wind's hot, everything's hot. Like it's did, gross. Did you bring your bathing suit? I did. That's good. That's good. I hear the pools are pretty fun over there. I have no idea, but I hear there. I hear it's fun to be at. We'll see. Adam is in La. Go ahead. Yes. (laughs) I Uh, I don't remember what I was going to say. Yes, I am in Las Vegas uh, for the uh, in lieu of the uh, the uprising premiere this weekend and the team blitz calling the world world premiere. But um, not only am I here in las vegas uh we also have a special guest here with us uh all the way from new jersey tommy tommy fresh of the fresh and buzz podcast how are you doing today i'm good i'm good welcome uh me i guess i don't know yeah yeah <laughs> um, no you can I'm, do your own I'm, intro. I'm, I'm so i'm so uh used to welcoming people that you know sometimes i have to welcome myself i feel like but uh i am just kind of uh scared because I am headed to Las Vegas tomorrow, and I do not want to deal with the heat. I don't even know like what I should pack, but uh, I'm happy to be here with you guys. This is exciting. Excellent. We're happy to have you here. Uh, I'll tell you what, usually when a guest comes on, I force them to give me their origin story. But you have been all over the place the last couple of weeks. Why don't you give me a little rundown of the... Uh, of the content you've been on lately, because you have been busy. Oh, geez. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it wasn't planned out like that. It kind of just everybody asked at the same time. And I, I mean, I don't say no, uh, because why would I? I? I love when people come on to my stuff. And, I'm like And more here you are proving and, that right now. And here I am with you guys. I love, you know, it's, it's nice to be on somebody else's thing, because like I, I get to get here, show up, you guys talk to me. You know, it's it's nice, uh, but uh, yeah, I guess. Oh, geez, I mean, leading into like Jersey, uh, a little bit. We had the um, I was on a video with Flake on his channel about the fourth hero, which we now know is not true, unfortunately. Uh, and then after afterwards, Flesh and Pod had a nice round table. The the folks over there, Logan, Jordan, Ab- well, Abby couldn't make it onto it, unfortunately, but. Uh, Logan and, and Jordan welcomed uh, myself, Elaine, Flake, and um, I know I'm forgetting one person, and I feel terrible to do that right now. It's been a lot of stuff lately. And then I was on a, Del- a whirlwind. Uh, Delio Perez uh, channel with Flake as well. And then, you know, I'm I'm always doing my own stuff. 
too. Um, you know, that's I think that's been it. Now now I'm on on here, and you know, it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, oh, I've had both of time. you guys on on the my podcast, and I'm happy to be on this one. Oh, I was also and on you, uh, Attack Action Podcast. I that was that's right. You but, were. You know, I tell you, you you have been busy, busy, busy because you <laughs> yeah. it, it has been all, all over the place. If I if I typed in Tommy Fresh right now on the YouTube, so many things come up. Ooh, especially cars. Let's see what happens <laughs> if I type in Tommy Fresh Flesh and Blood. Look, you are all over the place. Look at, look at me. Uh, paranine, paranine. You are. Hey, look, you're 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 breaking out. You are the uh, the flesh and blood content breakout star here. Uh, we are, you know, we're obviously very familiar with the Fresh and Buds podcast being on it, and we are, in fact, buds. We we're on the Discord. I, in fact, we probably hang out in that Discord more than we hang out on our own Discord to our detriment. We should probably should. Pr- probably stop hanging out with you guys so much but it's so much fun one of the uh one of the best things about new jersey was uh coming down and actually of course adam meeting you in person was you know fantastic so Um, cool and once you know and like me and adam and andrew and uh, and the rest of the Canadian gang there, it was it was just like super super comfortable. And then meeting you, Tommy, and the rest of the gang there, the uh, uh, Caleb, John, uh, and all those guys, it just felt like you know we'd been interacting so much online, and then getting to see everybody in person and like not missing a stride. That felt that felt like really good, and it was it it made me feel good leaving that uh you know that event feeling kind of renewed and when we see it now i feel like we're all like you know the the circles like solidified i feel like we're doing stuff you know and not only on the content side but we're you know we're jamming games people are getting ready for stuff and you know it's a it's a it's a productive group and the buds keep growing you're the the list the list of buds is ever ever widening so it's a you know it's a uh it's it's a uh, tantamount. It's it's uh, we're gonna cut this. <laughs> it's it's something. I'll tell you that, Pat. And you know, <laughs> I, 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 will I say, could see you trying to save it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it it was. I will say that it was it was really cool because I was hanging out with you, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, "Have you seen uh, in in Jersey?" I was hanging out with you, and I was like, hey, "Have you seen Adam yet?" And he's like, "No." And I was like, have you met Adam yet in, in, in yeah, person? Yeah. And he's like, no. He's like, I was like, do you want to go find him? And we started walking. We saw your orange beanie. And yeah, this was... giant statue in an orange hat. And <laughs> yeah, I'm like, is that him? He does not present that tall <laughs> you know, on webcam. It just He just seems much more of an average height guy. And going up to him, it's like, hey, Adam? And you know it's, yeah, <laughs> it's me. It's like all right, and it's like twins. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm Danny DeVito giving Arnold a big hug. <laughs> but that was course... really cool to witness, though, because like, you know, you know. Oh yeah. I I yeah. was meeting a lot of people for the first time, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. I don't talk to them every week on the podcast. You guys talk every week. I was like, that's mm-hmm. just cool. 
but it was, it was neat to see. Yeah, it was it was it was very cool. And then of course all of us are 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 together, and then a big shadow looms over the convention center, and I look up, and Drew Cordell is <laughs> is there as well. <laughs> and that man, for as tall as Adam is, Drew is an enormous enormous Drew individual. Drew is a giant. But he is yeah. so nice. He is just this nice, gentle, you know, pet your head kind of guy. Yeah, everybody's just tall, I found out yeah. in, in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, like, right? This, I mean, I don't know if I like this, but it's the rest of it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just a couple of average height guys, just like hobbits in the war, just looking up <laughs> at everybody. Hey, cool, all right. And everyone, everyone, te- I, I, I I come I come from a magic background and I you know uh, I love magic for a long time but I can say that the flesh and blood community is uh, the handsomest I think trading card community that I've I think I've run into uh there's there's just yeah you know, people take care of themselves it's just you know I don't know what it is about the the games the discipline required to play at a high level I guess uh, runs <laughs> runs through it's the lack life. of an online client i think you know it's, <laughs> yeah 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 right you can i have to be in front of people i'm gonna shower today yeah all right we're going to uh we're going to just get right into uh some news and stuff and uh tommy you're just gonna you're, you're coming along for the ride here so you're oh yeah we're all we're just gonna we're just gonna do this we're gonna get on the roller coaster and go what's on the news reel pat so we do have we're going to do this uh, in order uh, the the most newsworthy items uh, outside of uprising spoilers are uh, major events announced by uh, Legend Story Studio and we have two calling events coming up. One uh, is the calling Utrecht uh, that is that is on the twenty second through the twenty fourth of July and that is taking place in Utrecht Netherlands. Uh, and it is a three-day event that is featuring a special invitation-only European Champions battle on Friday, uh, and that is open to any European player who made the top eight of a calling, a 2021 Nationals, or 2022 Battle Harden event. On top of that is going to be the calling main event will provide players with a chance to warm up for Lil, featuring two days of hybrid play across Uprising Draft and Classic Constructed. And Sunday will be the Battle Hardened. The other calling announced is the Calling Singapore. That is taking place on the 20th and 21st of August. Uh, That is at the Singapore Expo Center Convention and Exhibition Hall. Uh, Saturday and Sundays featuring uh, the Calling main event with the Uprising Draft and Classic Constructed, as well as Uprising Draft side events. And Sunday is featuring a Classic Constructed Battle Hardened event, as well as Uprising Sealed Deck side events. Uh, so those two uh, were recently announced, and um, I think along with those, there was a little bit of, uh, I think, angst with the, call it short notice, that some of these events are being uh, announced on. Uh, what, do you, what, do you guys, what do you guys think about this, the, the timeline that has been presented with us? Uh, as of yet, and the and going into the unknown. Yeah, it's a it's a valid concern with what's been going on in terms of announcements for these events. I I get that there's a lot of moving parts though, I, especially over in Europe. I feel like Europe has to be uh, a little bit harder to get things scheduled. And things might be a little bit stricter over there still. I'm not sure, uh, but 
yeah, I think it's a a valid concern amongst all the the high profile players that like to go to all these things and that we're just grinders in general or just, you know, scrubs like me who I, I like to go to these and um, it, it can be really tough. And, you know, some, some long-term notice would be helpful, but also this is a, this is a pretty crazy year for flesh and blood. And I think that hopefully it ends up being somewhat of a blueprint for them to follow in years to come. Like, Hey, listen, not in terms of like announcing these things last minute, but also more in terms of like, this is when these things will be going forward. You know, this is when you can kind of expect them. Uh, but, you know, I get it. I get it. It's, it's tough. It's tough. Like travel is traveling is tough. Gas is crazy. Flights are crazy. So it, it's uh, when things are last minute, it can be hard. Now, did you uh, now both of you are going to going to Vegas? How how much uh, how hard or easy was that decision coming off of New Jersey? Because I feel like that was like if like New Jersey Pro Tour happens and then it's like surprise world premiere or Vegas two weeks be there. Like how how does how does that uh, come around? Uh, and you know obviously Adam, you've decided to you know you're you're there. So obviously you're doing that, and Tommy, you're you're packing you're packing up tonight and heading out uh, for this weekend. Um, but uh, how much uh, you know? How much did that decision weigh on you know the rest of your your plans in 2022 in terms of the events and you know things of that nature? Well, for me, it was very last minute. I I wanted to go badly, but you know, money is a is an uh, like a something that I have to consider. And also lucky for me, I, I was headed to a ProQuest like a couple weeks ago. And uh, the day before, I was like going through some old stuff. And I found like a bunch of Magic cards. And I was like, oh, maybe they buy singles at this store. They do. And I was able to basically sell enough cards to like pay for the, the flight. And then and then it was kind of easy to figure out the the everything else from there and also i met someone there that that just wanted the promos from the the event so they kind of just gave me some some money for the promos ahead of time so it, it all worked out but you know if, if none of that happened i i there's no way i'd be going i i would mm-hmm. need a lot more lead time and yeah. I'm yeah. I'm in the same boat. Uh, this came down. Th- this decision wasn't made in, until I was in Jersey, actually. And it the, the decision actually arose from there's this recurring conversation that me and a, a, a few um, a few fab players have had where it's, you know, it, it, we've been having this conversation about like, what does it take to, to, you know, win, uh, let's say top eight, a calling or a pro tour or, you know, any big major event. And obviously it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, a lot of skill, a lot of hard work, you know, no one's going to downplay that. But another factor is you have to get lucky. Um, you know, being that this is a trading card game, uh first and foremost you know there's rng behind the game and you can't choose when you get lucky but you can give yourself as many opportunities as possible to get lucky out of that i kind of came to this realization that you know i can't unfortunately if i want to take this game seriously i can't just rely on one or two events per year or something like that like i need to be giving myself as many opportunities as possible 
And so that was kind of where they just, I, I had this dishonest conversation with Brooklyn where I was like, I, I want to take this game seriously. And I, I, I want to give myself those opportunities. And we agreed that, you know, Vegas is probably something that needs to happen then. And uh, we, we found a way to make it work. Right, right off the tail of uh, world premiere and then the uprising release in July, we have road to nationals. It's already <laughs> happening. It's, it's, it doesn't stop. It just keeps going. I, I, I'm feeling like uh, they're not doing secret layers. They're doing like full on events, but it's giving me the same like palpitations. It's like, oh, there's so many of these happening. There is so on one side, right? I, I'm super excited about Road to Nationals. Road to Nationals are going to be featuring both Classic Constructed and uh, and Uprising Draft as featured formats for uh, for each individual Road to Nationals. You look at your local event locator to see which one is which. So they, they'll have either a Classic Constructed or a Draft format for that uh, for that Road to Nationals. But that is that is the month of July, and we just got done. Feels like we just got done. We did just get done with two full seasons worth of ProQuests, right? We grinded all for ProQuest one, got to calling Indianapolis, hopped right on to ProQuest to Pro Tour New Jersey. Now we're getting ready for Lil. We have the calling Vegas happening, and now we're going right into Road to Nationals. Are you planning on attending and playing in any Road to Nationals? Have you booked those days yet? Personally, I haven't, but I plan on it. Uh, I have to figure out what's going on in July for for me. Uh, Personally, I, I, I do travel a little bit in July, but i i am stoked for it because uh there's gonna be draft road to nats and that's just like a dream come true um as much as i love classic constructed and i'm sure if because some of them can be classic constructed if there are some that i could only make that are classic constructed i'm i'm still jamming them you know but uh that's high level limited play is just just what this game is missing right now so like it's just it's so awesome. And you mentioned that the calling Utrecht is, is split format. Uh-huh, and that uh-huh. has to be, that's the first calling that's split format so I far, so, as far yeah. to my knowledge. And that's, yeah, that's yeah, really the first exciting. high level split event. So it will get you ready. Uh, so you pro tour uh, bound players. If you want to get your reps in, get to Utrecht first. Well, nationals yeah, last year was split format as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Was it? Um, it but was. The, yeah. Uh, but it's it's so it's so cool, and that's that's that alone is so exciting because it feels it felt like until I heard that basically right now from you that that the only chance to play a split format tournament was to, to qualify for something, and if if Utrecht is any kind of like indicator of what we'll have in the future, uh, I think that's pretty awesome. And it's awesome that we got it for the road road to Nats as well. Adam, what about you? You what? You in on any road to nationals yet? Yeah, um, I'll. Right, I've it's noticed a lot. it's a lot. It is a lot. It's it's not the it's not the um, the rate of the events that um, there. No, I'm actually I'm fine with like it is like I, I agree that it, it it's it's very fast pace and there you know there's a lot to take in but i personally am fine with it i like to be busy i like to have things on the go so that part's fine for me uh one thing i've noticed for myself though is like now with starting to you know 
compete in these higher level events, like, you know, having played in a pro tour now and, and such, the ProQuest and RTNs aren't as... I just noticed, like, for some, one reason or another, like, this this ProQuest Season 2 felt so much more lax to me than ProQuest Season 1 did. And it was the same thing, like, when, when Skirmish Season 1 got announced and we didn't have anything else to go off of at the time, that was the highest level of flesh and blood people were playing, and people were clamoring to play in Season 1 of of uh skirmish and then you know we then we got our first rtn season and uh skirmishes became a lot less impactful and then we started getting callings and you know rtn started seeming less impactful and I'm, I'm noticing for myself at least like that drive that like oh i gotta get to the rtn isn't there this time around like i'll still I think they're going to be back-to-back weekends here for my local RTN, so it's going to be easy for me to attend. But I don't feel that same pressure to get there as I've felt in previous seasons of semi-competitive events. Do you think that has anything to do with the physical prize support at these for ProQuest Season 2? Not for me. I, I know for a lot of people, yes. A lot of people I had conversations mm-hmm. with were just just because the EV wasn't there for season two. Like, you top eight, you get a pack of tunic sleeves. Cool. Like, mm-hmm. you had it was really first place or bust. And yeah. I get that they can't necessarily like because when you look at going into s- season two of ProQuest, like the if they were gonna do Cold Foil Heroes again, well, it would have been the same pool of cold foil heroes that we saw in ProQuest season one and then on top of that you know some of those heroes we've seen in rtn season one and there's this question that if they keep handing out the same prize over and over again does it devalue the prize as well and i think that was part of where probably the decision to go to sleeves instead came from but the sleeves was was a missed mark like that it just wasn't enough. Um, It'd be a happy medium somewhere yeah. between. Like maybe top four gets a cold foil and, or something. I don't know. Yeah. But mm. yeah, top eight getting just give me sleeves. a play mat at least. Yeah. Give me the play mat. You could put whatever you want on there as a play. You can just put it just be white with just text that says I played in the RTN and it still means a little something <laughs> uh, going on there. The sleeve sleeves are a little little. Eh. Yeah, little sus. I, little I, sus. I do gotta um, wonder though, just in general, to like since we're on the topic, like, does is the rate of events like the with you know we're seeing so many events right now? Is that rate sustainable? Like, can they keep pumping out events at the rate they are right now? I don't know. It's it's hard to say for me because <clears throat> I, it feels like they're trying to make up for the fact that. The armory hasn't necessarily become the Friday Night Magic that it's probably intended to be, right? It's uh-huh, uh-huh. and um, I know that online armories are still a thing and people play in them. Uh, I have to imagine at this point LSS wants that to go away um, as as things open up and 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 everything. They want people to play in the store. I think that is truly the end goal for them and. Uh, the best way they can get people in stores playing is these events right now. And I also think they're playing a little bit of a catch up, you know, from, mm-hmm. I mean, if you remember 
you know, I, I feel the, like, I guess the crowdedness of all these events, uh, just as much as everybody else. But I also remember like after nationals to like all the way to the farewell to Wraith event where we had like nothing, it felt like, and I'd rather not go back to that. And, Mm. you know, Mm. I will take this right now. However, it does need to be spaced out a bit. I don't know if maybe, maybe the pro quest seasons being a little more spread out might help. Um, and then also kind of figuring out when they want their pro tours. I don't think the, yeah, I think that'll be a big, big factor. Yeah. New Jersey need, needed to be earlier in the year, but for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you know, it, everything's still crazy. So it had to be then. And also, you know, they also need to be in tandem with um, product releases, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think that should be right. Pro Tours need to be aligned with product releases after the, re- the release by a short, a short amount. That's I think that's been the ideal setting. Let release the product, let the Pro Tour event set the meta and then go from there. Uh, you know, I think one if they are trying to emulate and take over the the old idealized magic the gathering pro tour model i think they also need to grab that aspect of it as well um i do know there is so there is a bit of you know we, we talk about the crowding of of the events um and there is you know there i i do think that there's some merit in uh the choice so from my personal experience i I'm not going to France, right? So ProQuest season for me is a nothing burger. I wasn't doing any ProQuest. None of them actually lined up with the days that I would be available on anyways. So I'm just, you know, dad and work and all that stuff. I can only, you know, my days are Sundays, right? So ProQuest 1 had a bunch of Sunday events, and it turns out most of the Flesh and Blood player base hate Sundays. So <laughs> Quest 2 moved a bunch over to Saturdays, which is great for 99% of the guys, but not... Not for this one over here, unfortunately. So I knew that ahead of time, right? So I, I've i called June like my month off, right? I've decided to do some, you know, if you looked on the channel, you know, hashtag same with plug. If you guys go into the Combat Chain YouTube video, you might see a lot more videos uh, with me because I got more free time because I'm not jamming games for a pro quest. Um, I was looking forward to Road to National season because you have my time off and then I can get ready you know, I was going to use June to play test and get into road to nationals. Um, and we'll, we'll get into uh, some of the nitty gritty here, but I'm a constructed guy. So I had basically uh, two options for constructed RTNs. And one of them that I was going to just moved from uh, a Saturday that I actually had open to a Sunday that I did not. And so I, I, if any, I will have one, road to nationals uh this this season so then i'll be uh i'm basically waiting for skirmish season after that um but i think a lot of people will start have to make those kind of decisions what are you doing why are you doing it what formats do you want to play and maybe you're not jamming some of these guys are playing i don't know how people do it they're jamming you know they're, they're getting in eight pro quests you know in a season i mean people love the game but the logistics of doing that is just mind blowing to me. I think geography plays a factor there. Um, some people have 
access to more ProQuest and they're within a few hour drive of them. Um, but then also, like, I, I could comment on, you know, if I had eight ProQuests, I'd to, to attend, I would be at all eight of them because I am a degenerate without kids and I have that kind of free time. <laughs> what well, Pat, I, I'm to... glad I'm glad you brought up the fact that you you are a constructed guy. Right. Mm-hmm. I do want to address that. I I think that is gonna change. I'm you know, I because I remember in New Jersey we I convinced you to play a draft. I was like, come on, let's Maybe. just do one. Let's do an on-demand draft. And it was fun. Was it not fun? It was fun. It was fun. And we'll get into we'll definitely get into it a little bit. <laughs> it's not the worst thing. Am I prepared to compete at a world-class level and compete for a spot by via a a draft experience? No. No, I'm I do not think I will be making a nationals level competition through my my draft. Uh but maybe you know we'll, we'll see we'll see how it goes well um, nobody nobody's prepared for this draft format yet nobody's got to practice so you're you're on the ground floor we're all my friend the same we're all in the same boat we're everybody's same elos boat. at 1500 in this realm <laughs> yeah because mine definitely is i'll tell you that i got that's one of the craziest things out in new jersey is i got rated i got rated i'm at uh i showed my rating i have eight rated wins um, I showed my rating to uh, the Discord testing server, and uh, one of the guys goes, "Oh yeah, my rating bombed too." <laughs> uh, that's just what it is, guy. That's just what it is. That's just me right there. Here's me looking at you with my rating. Uh, sorry, you're not you're not gonna get bumped up if you beat me. Sorry, bud. <laughs> but I had to take that hit. Um, well, I took yeah, a... All right. Uh, I, so, go ahead. I was just going to say, on the topic of Elo, I feel bad for you on G Lee because I took a 113-point loss at the Pro Tour, and then he lost to me on the first day of the calling. So it's like, oh, no, that's a bad hit for oh, him. Oh, no. <laughs> but that's also something that's going to get kind of mitigated as more people play more rated events and right you know i think mm-hmm. that's probably how it works maybe it doesn't i could be wrong <laughs> and i think well i think it, it it's it goes to that uh you know what are you know how are we getting into you know what are we using elo for what is elo in the first place what's k oh god all of it is just i'm i'm getting better at it adam i th- think i have I have a passing understanding of what ELO is. It's still wrong. It should just be straight numbers that just go up and down the 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 thousands and thousands of numbers for a multiplier. Uh, completely unnecessary. But you know, once they flesh once they flesh this out, right, you're gonna have you're gonna have a rated player base. And then all the people who hate that you can get into some of these things with XP will not have to worry about it anymore because a a high tier circuit will have been established with a large enough player base where you can say all right everyone with this elo gets in the pro tour and no one else does so you can get rated at lower events and you might be able to qualify for some lower rated events through xp but you can build your you can have your feeder system you can have your feeder system in that way 
Um, I just seen a lot when you talk about armories not not hitting and some of the online experience. I I'm an online armory guy because of uh, mostly out of necessity. Um, you know, like everything else, I I actually found an LGS with a, a Sunday afternoon armory. Shout out to Darkwater Games in Mashpee, Massachusetts. Um, but as it turns out, that um, that armory is is the the crowd there kind of ebbs and flows a little bit because Sunday afternoons aren't aren't the best for a lot of players. So it just actually, it's you now it just works out for me. I'm trying to get more people uh, to attend regularly uh, over there, but they're very nice down there. And uh, one of my one of my one of my things was trying to get in front of more people and play more games in the flesh and blood. Um, so I went from attending no armories to some armories, but I, I am kind of nervous when the, if the online armory scene kind of goes away, because on top of content creation, it's also one of my main like gameplay avenues. So I, I would hope that at least some semblance of it sticks around. I do think right we're in it's 2022. The world is what it is. Some, acceptance and semblance of online play i think is a a step in the a positive direction um whether or not a webcam based tournament should qualify you for you know a certain level or you know or you know tier of prizing or event is up for debate but i wouldn't eliminate it please lss let me play my games online all right so uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming up, and uh, we just got done, as of this recording, I believe it was the last day of Uprising Spoilers. Now, we're all going to do our own iteration of a spoiler show, so we're not going to break it all down there. But, uh, Tommy, first, quick first impressions of what you've seen from Uprising so far. To boil it down to to nothing too crazy, uh, starting with Icelander, definitely going to be a player uh, in in CC, or obviously already was a player in, in Blitz, but I don't think she'll ever be top tier, but she will spike some events, much like Kano. However, probably a little more resilient to people being prepared for her because of the nature of how she plays out. And I also think she is just built to be the most annoying hero <laughs> ever. Uh, so it should be interesting how that goes with Icelander. A lot of the spoilers are pretty cool. Some really cool combos and stuff like that for Icelander. Uh, I think people are going to have a lot of fun building her. And I'm interested to see how she does in draft as well. Dromai... This might be kind of like a, a hot take, or or maybe I'm just a hater. I think Dromai is a little bit of a trap. I still think Prism is is the the route to go if you're going illusion, illusionist. And um, that being said, I could be wrong. It's it's probably a matter of how how you build her, but um, she's gonna be a lot of fun to draft, and I'm excited to do that. And those. Two face card or uh, double face cards are awesome. The dragons are so cool. A dragon infogations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Though it's getting a little magicy in there. I don't. I don't know how 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 much I love that. And, and then uh, the creatures Fi, on the board. 
Yeah, Phi is awesome. I think Phoenix Flame is so cool. I, I think people are. Uh, I think we're gonna see some real like heat from Phi. I think that I don't know. It's just he he feels like he's playing with more cards than four, and and historically that's always been good. Look at look at Chain. Look at you know some some other you know decks like that you know they've always performed well and if people can abuse that and people will try to abuse that i think uh um Fi's the the real deal and um yeah very excited for it though overall some really sweet cards too and i think we're still one legend we haven't seen yet one legendary two i think two maybe two I, okay cool and then actually maybe three because we have the we got the wizard equipment, the generic headpiece, the chess, the yeah. illusionist arms. There's six in the set. Six legendaries. So I don't know. I think there was one. We haven't seen a ninja one, right? We haven't seen a ninja. Uh, that's the thing, right? What could those other legendaries be? But they do list six different legend. Well, they have six legendaries on the cut sheet. Um, so I know of three. And of course, the fabled. The the generic headpiece is insane. By the way, that that card's so. I think it's good. great. Yeah, I think yeah, it's really I, good. I can't Still wait to play it over Arknight. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. Someone someone made a comment on Twitter that uh, you know they were uh, they were underwhelmed by the by the legendaries, and uh, I I replied I was like I I actually think that's pretty that's pretty normal for legendary previews in Flesh and Blood. Like for some reason you see those, and they just do one little cute I, crown of seeds, crown, crown of yes. seeds, and stalagmite. Right, are two examples of cards that when previewed, you went, huh? Okay, I guess. I remember we all we were all sitting down in a Discord room, and stalagmite came up, and you know it it was one of those things where it's like. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be a legendary. You know, frostbites are cute, and you can three block. I guess. You know, sure. I'm still probably gonna run Ram's Head all the time, except for very niche matchups. And you know, what the hell do we know? Stock might turns out to be super super dece. You know, and and then Crown of Seeds, right? Looking at Crown of Seeds when Tails comes out, that's a super innocuous feeling ability at first glance. Like, okay, you get to take a card and prevent one. Okay. Like there's value there, um, but you know that crown of seeds might be the most overtuned piece of equipment in the game today, in you know borderline bannable, depending on who you talk to. I also think uh, the ghostly touch, mm -hmm. uh, the illusionist arms, yeah, it's very, uh, very underwhelming, mm -hmm. but. So this is a conversation that came up. I had Mo Bogsley on my podcast earlier today, and it came up, well, you know, why does it want you to pitch three to attack with it? And then we were thinking, oh, well, Prism wants yellow pitches. Dromai wants red pitches. Maybe this is the cycle that James White had referred to in in uh, his interview with Flake um, right before Everfest came out. So this is, it, it's a card that it's weird that they're printing it now, but it's clearly probably going to be for the illusionist that needs blue stuff. Also, it's like spooky themed. So we're probably getting a spooky themed uh, <laughs> illusionist coming out that wants blue pitches. Well, if you, so, um, 
if you want to yeah. play into like the, the, the three pitch illusionist, like Iris or Reality already hints that there is an Auras build out there that wants to build around blues. Um, to take it a step further, Look at you, yeah, Iris, Iris and Ghostly Touch, uh, it's coming together. To take it a step further, um, what is it? One of my locals pointed out that so we've seen we've like we've seen Prism like a predominantly yellow hero is kind of like bathed in yellow. We've seen Dromai, a predominantly red-based hero, kind of bathed in red. Has anybody ever realized that they're on the the art for uh, Shimmers? We have a illusionist that's predominantly bathed in blue. Yep. Uh, surreal reality Shimmers and uh, Fractal. Yeah. Fractal. Fractal Reflections? Is that what it's called? Fractal Replication? Fractal Replication. Yes. Yeah, the blue the blue illusionist. So I, I do, look at you. I do yes. think that the the Fractal Replication illusionist and the Shimmers illusionist are two different characters. Um, mm-hmm. You might be right. <laughs> but yeah, I have the Shimmers playmat right here. It is different. Uh, but but to, to the to the point like that, we already like even before Ghostly Touch, there were some hints that we do like there is some archetype of illusionist that is predominantly blue based and likely leans heavily on auras. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, maybe Ghostly Touch is is, is going to play into that. Uh, I know some of the rumblings I've seen as well. Um, there's there's an idea that well, so. There was this whole debate in one of the discords about whether Ghostly Touch can exist as an ally with zero health. So, like, if you activate it with only one haunt counter on it, will it at, because then it would go to zero, will it be able to exist as a zero health um, ally? And a deep dive into the comprehensive rules points out that the comprehensive rules don't address it existing at zero health it only addresses it being reduced to zero health when an ally is reduced to zero health they die but if an ally comes in at zero health what happens and now if you can control this as a zero health ally that pokes for zero it's still a great spectra popper um and can be very valuable in the aura's mirror that's very interesting that is I mean, are we, is that confirmed that that's how it works? Well, that's the thing is we don't know. Like they, the comprehensive mm. rules don't address it. As far as I understand, okay. I didn't do the deep dive myself, but I was paying attention, closely attention to a conversation between a couple other um, comprehensive rule gurus, and they could not identify what happens if Ghostly Touch comes into the battlefield as a zero zero. Now, it's is also it- worth noting that Brightmare is a three-cost illusionist attack that cares about if something had been popped already, a yep. phantasm had been popped. So, and and that's like the second time we're seeing that. And, you know, cost three, you know, just it screams that. It's just, for me, it's a little weird that we're getting it now. And like you said, we, we've gotten a little bit of it elsewhere. So maybe uh, it's, it's coming down the road, but um, it's interesting to think about. Uh, you know, especially looking at the ghostly touch, I, I, that's, that's a car that's either right now, it's either terrible or the best finisher we've ever seen. Um, 
uh, I don't think there's going to be any in between. <laughs> it definitely screams like Uber control finisher, right? Mm. Where you don't you don't play anything other than whatever, right? You you defend, you play something with phantasm into somebody that needs to pop it all the time and then you know defend get, get counters and slowly just whittle down in the end game with this uh, with this you know with this repeatable recyclable little pinging style attack uh, that you can you can get down you know, we 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 talk about that you know how how they plan ahead here and it does seem like Everyone's given them a bit more props for Everfest and the items now that some of these heroes, you know, some of these cards and heroes have been, uh, you know, finally released. Everyone's going, they prepared us for this in Everfest. We spent so long (laughs) crapping on so many items and it turns out they might have a whole hell of a lot of use uh, in the Uprising meta. Yeah, well, between like... Was it with these red line decks and Talisman of Recompense? Like, that's going to be a hugely uh-huh. powerful um, interaction. I think Talisman of Recompense uh, cold foils already up to like 15 or 20 bucks or something like that. Uh, look at my binder. But then on top of that, um, we're getting like, like, uh, what Tommy, you made that post about was it Talisman of Cremation interacting with Phoenix mm-hmm. Flames? Uh, like, that's oh, yeah. like. Mm-hmm that that's incredible like you your opponent sets up the you know maybe this huge end game and then you're like no nah, i'm just gonna talisman a cremation and banish them all and uh, have a nice day like <laughs> there's so <laughs> many powerful interactions that we are possibly going to see that like I, I think we can't even fathom all of them right now yeah probably just i mean i imagine every single item will have some kind of really specific use that is very good in that specific use I believe uh, somebody made the point that, oh, God, I'm blinking on, there's so many items. The one that cares if your opponent played two of the same attack, and then you pop it, I think they... Either tithes or echoes, right? Something. Echoes, echoes, yeah, yeah. That one, probably pretty good against the Phoenix Flames as well. Believe. Mm-hmm. I, I saw somebody talk about that. I gotta look it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you are. Yeah, Amulet of Echoes, go again. Instant, destroy Amulet of Echoes. Target hero discards two cards. Activate this ability only if they've played two or more cards with the same name this turn. Like Phoenix Flame. A little Uh, more niche, but something that makes their sequencing very hard. So. Yeah, it, if they're really leaning hard into that. So, right, I think that's one of the big questions going into into Uprising, right? So my quick my quick impressions here are that I think everyone is probably... I think there's a reason they didn't do a ton of Icelander stuff, right? I, I think it's because it really is going to... really going to kill a lot of dreams uh, when Icelander's finally built. I think everyone's on conceptually on the the highest octane side of the spectrum right now with both Dramai and and Phi, right? What happens if you have 60 zero-cost red cards in your hand, and how far can you take a combat chain? You thought Cheerios Briar was bad. We're going to take it to the next level. (laughs) Yeah, right? So, like, un... 
and un unbalanced here on you know without a counter to it yeah right if if there's nothing stopping you from doing it why wouldn't you have all the zero cost red attacks to red pitch and and just do this insane you know and we've seen the uh, people have been doing it on TTS right they're, they're going 15 20 links deep on the combat chain it's ridiculous stuff right and so in in magic christmas land we have a fi that can otk and we have a dromai that completely you know just hordes dragons and does a whole bunch of like guardian-esque almost you know disruptive effects and you have these two fiery heroes that do amazing cool things what i don't think people are giving enough credit is you know the existing status quo and the ability that heroes have to to balance out these effects and the cards already in place to do that and i think what we'll what we'll see here is that going fast is fun but it's not gonna you're gonna get stomped hard once somebody figures out what you're doing and the you'll see people start to balance out and kind of slow it down just enough so that they have their the proper support and i do think i think there's something in five for an otk deck even once it's set up here i think you can go wide enough and you can buff it enough where you're going to be able to present 40 plus in a in a in a mordred tide viscerai esque type of chain where you have that same versatility right if you take if you take chain bound by shadow and and viscerai and let you know more so them than maybe katsu in terms of like your synergies and your aggressive play going into these rune blades i think is going to be what might benefit you more uh into playing with Fi than if you're if you've been a katsu main going all right i'm you know this is another ninja here the combo element is a is a completely different beast than this aggressive synergy element that phi has here so there there is something there right there is something dangerous there's something that is likely tier one if it's if it's done correctly um but you still have to you have to figure out the puzzle of Oldham, Icelander, uh, you know, Prism is not going away. Bravo is back, likely. Um, but like there there will be a counter to all the fun stuff that they're showing off right now. And I we wanna we wanna temper expectations here at the combat chain because we care about mm. the competitive and we just want you to know that there is you have to think about this a little bit and there's going to be some disciplined deck building that goes into making these heroes work so just don't don't get all your marvels and throw them in and expect to you know expect to to win nats that's all Mm -hmm. um but that's that's my quick uprising impression here well, yeah you you made a good point the great equalizer in the upcoming meta will be ice heroes ice Mm -hmm. lexi oldham Icelander. It's going to change the way we have to build decks if we want to be aggressive, and it also changes the way we approach control. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, it, yeah, it, it would be awesome if we're all, you know, 38 damage with five, uh, mm-hmm. a single turn or something like that, but it, it's it's probably not likely to happen often. Um, someone's going to push it, but, you know, yeah, here at the combat chain, which I'm co-guesting on, 
I agree, the Pat. Honorary link of the combat chain, Tommy <laughs> Crash. I will say, here's my hottest take of them all. Kadachi is wrong. Searing Ember Blade is correct. Don't, don't Kadachi fi. It's wrong. Yeah, makes sense. If you're running red line, you're probably, even though you're running zero cost attacks, like you're not reliably pitching that one blue that you can Kadachi Kadachi off of. There was. And they're not draconic. I did. I was going to get to that. There is one card mm-hmm. that does make them draconic, and I cannot for the life of me remember the name off the top of my head. I know what you're talking about. It just came out. I think it was this afternoon. There is. There is a card. In fact, I think it was in one of the unseals, uh, either the first one or Chris Sire's uh, unseals. Uh, but he definitely had a, you know what I can do? Look at my own channel. But despite that, I I, I know you'll find it in a sec here. I, I do agree, though, that it. Yeah, Kadachis is not what you want to be doing in Phi. Phi is looking to establish as many draconic chain links as possible, I think, from what I've seen so far. And capitalize off of that. So the, the, the Kadachis just don't contribute to that reliably. It's yeah, and I'm sure there is a build that has that. I'm sorry, Tommy. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's interesting that we, we're not getting, as far as I can tell, majestic weapons for these heroes. Mm, very disappointed when i first saw searing ember blade i was like all right i'm gonna wait for the m um but it does not look like that day is coming i do wonder because outside of tails we only ever saw m equipments in supplemental sets uh i do wonder if maybe with tails they they tried something new out and they're like you know what we're gonna stick to doing the m equipment in the supplemental set and that's Part of the reason why we're not getting it out of out of uh, uprising, if maybe we're going to see it in whichever you know the next supplemental set after uprising, if that's going to be when we see some stuff that's going to maybe supplement. But well, we actually got him in Monarch Hexagore. Oh, you're right. We did get M yeah. weapons mm-hmm, in Monarch mm-hmm, as well. We got mm-hmm. the weapon, just the weapons. Yeah, mm-hmm. Wep- well, weapons I guess, which is the, the latest same as draft sets and 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 equipment. Right in the supplementals, right? I I I really like a ninja piece of equipment that blocks. It's I just what do you mean? You got breaking it. scales, you got breeze rider yeah, boots, you got yeah. mask of momentum. Yeah. So here's the question: Is is it pouncing links or momentum that we're playing? Ooh, I think it's mask of momentum. All right, so there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be two decisions that you gotta make here, right? And so pouncing links gets you salt the wounds and how much you care about salt the wounds depends on how you've set Whoa, up your i didn't even here. think so, of salt the wound in bay oh that's so spicy so so i'll tell you what i have been in i rick katsu guy by by trade right briar by necessity katsu by by passion here um but you know us katsu players talk a lot right and so if you go on to uh, uh if you if you look at uh, esteemed tavern brawler uh, teams team members uh, Jupiter and Joe Bay, also known as Crimson Mist, um, those two have been really on the pioneering front of a of a Katsu list that um, is really different uh, than what you are used to seeing. And so, whenever Fest first came out, right there there was an attempt at a turbo katsu, right? Take out surging line. What do you have, right? You ride the tailwinds, 
things of that nature. You had the break tide lines back in, and, and you had that kind of even lower to the ground katsu list. Um, coming into New Jersey, there was another list, uh, and primarily I only I primarily saw it played by those guys, and they were uh, they were brainstorming together. And Joe Joe Bay is an incredible brewer of of decks. I, I consider myself a bit of a brewer myself these days, but he he takes the next step uh, very early on, and uh, it's their their advances that you typically don't even see until like a month or two months later, and it's very impressive to see that. So both of those guys running slight different uh, slight variants of the same deck, but it uses stubby hammers, mask of the pouncing links. And Katsu and the combo is and they've already played they've already played so I'm not spilling secret sauce anymore. It uses belittle, all right, uh, stubby hammers and uh, mask of the pouncing licks. Whenever you hit, you, you want to get tunic to three, and when your tunic is to three, hopefully by turn three, you have you have the tools in hand here. You start with an attack. Uh, you you break stubby hammers. You start with an attack uh, with belittle. If you hit, um, you can um, activate Katsu and Mask of the Pouncing Links at the same time. When you do that, it depends on what your what your card ha- what your hand has. You can you can fetch for something like double hundred wins or something of that nature to continue on your co- your your line. But what you really want to do is. On top of triggering those things, you want to add an Art of War at instant speed to the equation there. So when you add the Art of War stubbies and the two two on hits to fetch cards, you end up netting three card three attack cards like in your already large hand. And with the combination of the stubbies and the Art of War, your things are buffed by two already, and you have a combat line of three base attacks that are actually attacking for five with Go Again. And if you if you stack that line correctly, even with Kadachis, your Salt the Wounds ends up being seventh or eighth in line on the combat chain, and depending on how many you've hit. Its base attack is two, which is why you can fetch it with Pouncing Links. It's already getting another plus two from Art of War and Stubby Hammers, so you're already at base four. Now, however much higher, however many hits you get on your combat chain, Salt the Wound gets plus one for each one of those things. So in in this iteration of Katsu, if it hits, you can get, believe it's a 42 damage turn, um, which is right there with Bolton Sabres, um, and you know OTK Viscerite, right? It's right at that number there. Hey, don't forget about um, Wildfire Kano and Wildfire <laughs> Kano, right? But it has the ceiling is there. Um, once we were in New Jersey, I know that they went and talked with the with LSS uh, there, and they brought up Stubby Hammers, Pouncing Links, and the combo and LSS confirmed that that is likely why stubbies is banned starting in june in blitz for the same sim- the same kind of concept here but stubby stubby hammers is still going to be legal in cc and salt the wounds is going to be a thing so if, if you're a ninja that cares about the combat chain 
salt the wounds becomes a very real consideration. It's a zero cost yellow to attack that gets buffed for every hit on the combat chain. I remember it's gonna, gonna happen. <laughs> I remember when was it Drone of Brutality got banned. Was it drone? Yeah, it was drone. When drone got banned, and we started to think of, like at the time, we were all like, "What does what does Ira replace drone with?" And mm-hmm. I think we, I'm trying to remember how what what the, there was like yeah there like through that there was like this a, a lot of people took on like kind of deck building with Ira, and, and there was a lot of debate about what the correct cards were. And I remember at the time, I was like, Salt the Wound is a good card. And people would argue with me that mm-hmm. it wasn't. And I was like, no, you, it's a good card. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it pitches for two, it blocks for three, it does gross things on the combat chain if people let things hit. Like, mm-hmm. it's to, to now hear that that's... It is, and, you know, so it, it has been... Uh, it's been one of the silver bullets in Katsu aggro lists for the last like year. And people, you know, some people just think, think they're crazy for playing it, but, um, Katsu aggro, super redline Katsu aggros are running ravenous rabbles and salt wounds when they're going into full aggro and it works when it works. Right. You say when Um, it works though, is that the, the issue that it doesn't always work? Uh, yeah, so I mean, so the problem with the problem with the Katsu combo as it stands is that it requires so many pieces to move to move forward correctly um, that it does have it is a victim to its own variance there. So mm. I believe Phi is in a position where you're not Katsu is relying on those combo pieces that you're able to fetch, which is why it's important to find 100 wins, and it's important to find, um, you know, it's important to find either, at that point, you know, either another 100 wins, uh, wins of eternity, or assault the wounds, right? If you play, if you grab the assault the wounds and it's not the correct play, it doesn't, it doesn't work out anyways. But if your hand is... You know, two blue hundred wins and a yellow hundred wins. You're not gonna get the same impact as you know some of the more powerful lines that you might be able to play there. So it can be because it's base three and works off stubby hammers. You do have to play a lower quality card, and that can bite you in the ass uh, when it's time to time to go off. Right? I you know. Briar ends up in kind of a similar situation when, you know, you need to go off and you need you need an attack with go again and you grab, you know, and, and it's burgeoning, right? It just sometimes it happens and it just, you know, doesn't doesn't work out. So the ceiling is there. The floor is real low. And sometimes, you know, I think your, your percentage points uh, uh, up there on the floor end of things before that 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 becomes a real thing. But there is there's non-talented ninja cards that are definitely going to see see play here. Uh, Double strike that's going in Katsu. You know, Katsu is about to get more aggressive as well. So you're you're likely to have two viable ninjas in the constructed meta coming up here, and they're both going to play differently, but they're both going to hit really really hard. I'll tell you while I'm on the tangent. My my concern with Phi is that it becomes dash aggro weak right you you can boost you know if you if you just play dash aggro with a bunch of yellows and blues and just boosted 
it you know it doesn't do much you just wait for techno pounder to come out and you're hitting for you know three uh, you know three a piece until you fatigue yourself right the worst case scenario is that phi has a 15 link combat chain that hits for eight total and burns through half your deck anyways what are you going to do with that not a whole lot right so that's that's the i feel like that's the potential floor there right if people go too far in one direction you're going to end up in this uh really easy to fatigue underpowered deck yeah i i think though at the if you're if you are though pulling out a 15 link combat chain you're because part of the reason dash is so easy to fatigue is because it's well boost dash is because it's you know it's it's not these huge drawn out combat chains like if your opponent clues in early enough that they're that it's just a boost dash they can they can very effectively block it i think Faye on the other hand goes shorter but so much wider that if as the opponent you decide you want to block it well where do you block now like Mm -hmm. you like if it's going to be 15 attacks for one threatening a total of 15 damage and you have to commit three cost blocks or three or one a a single card to block one like you're you're not getting Mm -hmm. that value on your blocks so i think there Faye has more room to punish than uh, even though it's a similar mm-hmm. a similar example, I think Faye can punish harder than than da- uh, Boost Dash can right off the bat because of how wide Faye can pot- potentially go. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's definitely going to be something there. Before we get into the main topic, I do have one more since we're on the we're we're talking constructed and you know shop talk here. Tommy, have you put? Your belittles and minuisms into Levia yet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is never happening, man! Oh no. my god! What what I, do you I, reveal you know. to trigger the belittle? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, what is uh? I mean, I so rarely play those you know crazy go wide decks. I don't even know what I have to reveal with belittle. What is it? A zero cost? Uh, it's a, an attack, attack action, base three attack, base three or less attack power. You'd have to be running uh, yellow uh, ghostlies. Yellow ghostlies, which sounds awful. So, <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah, but you can play no it for banish. And minimisms. <laughs> true. Very true. Uh, and, well, I and. guess actually, you know what? Uh, there is a world where I've played mutated mass in Leviathan, so that. That counts. Okay, hang on. How does sometimes. how does mutated mass read? Because mutated mass is, I think it's a it's one of those state uh, what, state based effects. Or like, it's reading wherever it's a static, you know, whatever it's reading at the time. It's, is what yeah, it it's constantly in. checking. So like, there's sometimes where mutated mass would trigger it, and there's other times yeah. where it wouldn't. As you long as it's on the right time. I say that in in jest a little bit, but I I do feel um, I don't know I don't know what it is. But little minimalism's been around for a while, but I think everyone's just starting to get uh, get a whiff of it because I feel I feel like it's it's everywhere right now, and uh, I think it I think it shows up in both the draconic uh, heroes as well, and I think that'll be slightly frustrating. Just to see a little, a little of that, of that homogenization that flesh and blood can be a little guilty of sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little, you know, a little samey. Here's your here's your staple card, and all of a sudden, a little 
the little minimalism engine has become become that. Uh, I, most it will the... it will show up in five, but I I think it will be wrong to show up in Dromine. That's my that's my initial take on that. I I I'm sure people will try it. I don't think it's gonna be what Dromine really wants to do mm-hmm. in in the end. But yeah, you're right. People will throw it in there. Yeah, I think they'll throw it in as into I and they currently are throwing it into like basically as many little things as they can. Uh and it'll be interesting to see how much if that if that creates a, a problem uh if if uh LSS were to address that in the near future. It does it does some weird things. It does create some some efficiencies. Um like I'm a I'm playing Briar for so long. Briar is now on to the belittle engine and it just doesn't I've never jived with it, but it's you know, it's in Katsu. I've I've tried it in Katsu, I don't like it. I've tried it and I tried chain for a while, never liked it. And now, you know, I thought I was happy with Briar, now everyone's on belittle Briar, and it's like, oh I can't get away from this stupid <laughs> stupid card group and uh oh man and, and i'll tell you what in commoner it is it is just the it is the worst briar the little briar in commoner is is needs to go it is not good well i'll tell you what it's safe uh to say that it won't be coming to i guess guardian or or a little guardian anytime soon no. You don't see it happening? Not no, yet. No, no. Not yet. Guardian <laughs> running a bunch of cards like Red Overload to trigger it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm saying. Right? Might it, maybe maybe if Starva was still around, it might uh, might have shown up. But I don't, if Ball it, Lightning wasn't banned, channel, 100%. Channel Mount Hero. Yeah, 100%. God. Yep, but little Ball Lightning Starvo. Wow. Oh, God. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I'm sounds, so mad every sounds, time I would see that. <laughs> sounds terrible. It does. Uh, channel Mount Heroic, Channel Like Frigid, and Ball Lightnings. Oh, so that's the worst combination. Oh, that sounds terrible. Man. That All right. I could, terrible to play into. <laughs> there's, I, can, I can go even further into the woods here. I'd, I, I will say without any context, Young Chain and Seeds will be legal on 624. So we'll just leave that at that. Uh, it, they're legal and classic constructed. You can play them. It's it's not the worst thing in the world. Seeds seeds will be unsuspended 624. Bring your Young Chains out to classic constructed events. You have more life than you think. All right. <laughs> the main topic of the podcast that we're finally getting around to is... Drafting uprising will be the uh, the next draftable set when uh, when it is released on six twenty four since since tails in almost a year. September a, a year of one set right it, the limited aficionados in the flesh and blood have been just frothing at the mouth and that is actually my biggest inspiration for having Tommy Fresh on to the pod today because Tommy you are uh, a limited aficionado you have said you've gone on the record saying that it is your favorite format is that correct it is i think it's the best way to play the game uh i, I stand by that i don't know if aficionado is the right word it's probably more just junkie uh i i you know it, it's it's one of those things where where we have no online client so i am just mm. 
craving it so much. I don't. I, I wonder how much that would change because even when I was playing Magic and, and drafting a lot, I would still draft a lot online. Uh, I imagine if there was an online client, I would be drafting probably like at least four times more than than I was on Magic. So I think Flesh and Blood is is a great limited game, um, and I'm super excited that after nine months or, or however long it was that we we have another set to draft. Adam, what, what I don't think I've ever asked you about your your drafting affinity. How do you feel about the limited formats here? I love it. I'll play limited over constructed like any day of the week. Um, I absolutely love that limited forces you to work with what you have and not with this magical Christmas land of like, I can put anything I want into my deck and having to find, yeah, the best plays out or that, you know, build the best decks out of what you got, build, you know, find the best plays out of suboptimal cards. I think it's, it's, yeah, it, in my opinion, if, if I had to choose one form or one way to play the game, it would be limited. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I am on the exact opposite. I know. I about it. <laughs> so this is interesting. So I don't, I don't draft, right? I'll, uh, I am, uh, Historically, proven fact, I am the worst magic drafter in the history of people opening packs and picking cards. It is just something about it is never clicked. And even when you like if you just blindly picked cards, the odds of you picking the right one are better than how I pick my magic cards in a draft. But how how important is limited play in in a TCG? Is it is it truly a make or break? Like I'm a constructed fiend. If all I do is buy packs to open them, sometimes for singles, buy my singles, find out what the best deck is in a constructed format, throw those cards together, and play the list that I want to play. But there is there is this entire side to TCGs that says that you can you are going to pick random cards, half of which are garbage. And from that, you are going to create this competitive, you know, this pool of cards and you're going to face off with another another person. How how important is that to the uh, the long term health of a TCG? Uh, personally, I think it's very important uh, Now, you know, you mentioned that half these cards are garbage. I mean, it's all relative, right? Uh, you get to really evaluate, at least in flesh and blood, you get to evaluate I mean, it's probably true for almost any tcg that has draft you know you get to evaluate these cards at their very base level right you know it's it's so easy to look at a card and say ah oh, god i mean you know it's fine but i would never throw it into you know oldham or whatever but mm. you're <laughs> but then you're like super happy to play uh, a, uh, I guess like a yellow glacial footsteps in, in Tales of Aria draft. It's like, because mm-hmm. it, it just, it gives you a different kind of value. And and it when you kind of have that intimate approach and, and experience with the game uh, in a level that one of the coolest things about these games is to open packs and like, it's, it's cool to open the pack and then start playing with them like almost immediately. And that's, that's I think what a lot of these classic tcgs started as and whether i mean it wasn't drafting then but it was like let's buy some packs build some decks and play it wasn't like you know you know looking at all these giant Mm -hmm. card pools and stuff like that 
Let's work with right. what we have. And I think that is important for, for the game. Yeah, I agree. To, to, to Tommy's point, like a card, a card is only bad when there's a better card that does, you know, the same effect or a better effect. But once again, when you're reduced to only the cards in your pool, suddenly your bad cards can become good cards because it's like, you know, like, let's say like in, in Welcome to Wrath, like your your red sink belows and your red uh scar for scars are suddenly just these primo cards that like don't get me wrong sinks a, a decent card outside of limited but like these cards become powerhouses because they are allowed to shine amongst you know w- without being overshadowed by by your e strikes or your command and conquerors or or what have you limited force i'm trying to think where i'm going with this limited uh really allows a set to shine and um it's so like just to come back to that point like it's so rewarding to to just be stuck with with your pool and to build a winning deck out of that um like one of my fondest moments uh playing flesh and blood is a tales of aria draft skirmish that i i managed to take down and i i won on the jankiest lion like i played i played an inspire lightning fused and then i blinked to gain my action point and then the lethal point of damage was a singeing steel blade where the arcane damage it was, i was playing into an old hymn where it was like the it was a yellow singeing steel blade where i i needed to find ways to deal damage without allowing him to de-react and it's like these cards are like no one plays inspire lightning in constructed no one plays singeing steel blade in constructed yet i won a skirmish off of these cards like that yeah it's such a a rewarding way to play the game yeah and i think also and we we get these intimate interactions with these cards we'll never play in constructed and down the road, we're going to look at, look back at Tales of Aria, right? I mean, I, I will look back at Tales of Aria, and maybe it will be nostalgia. Or, or let's actually use Uprising as, as an example. I'll look back at Uprising in five or so years. Like, oh, that was when, you know, Phi and Draconic, we first got that. But like, I, I, I can bet any amount of money that I'm going to remember the draft format more than anything. I think that... It just is so associated within the whole microcosm of the set that it gives you a full feel for what they wanted to put forward. And uh, it's cool. Like, uh, I guess another card I was thinking of, well, um, you know, from Tales that I've never seen play in Constructed, but felt so good to play in Limited was Summerwood Shelter. And, Mm. you know, that card was, like, that card was insane in Limited. And, and, um that's it's cool right because it doesn't feel like uh you know that's why i hate supplemental sets especially like some of the cars in everfest when they gave us like draft chaff yeah like, in the common yep. slot I'm like what yep. is what is what this are for? you doing here <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> like like i look at them, like oh this would have been sweet to draft with but you know um that's why drafts the best pat <laughs> <laughs> i've never understood i, I like cut like so I do think that there is a difference between Flesh and Blood Limited and other limited formats in other games that I've I've played. And I, th- Magic, I, I go back to Magic because it was for me way too complex, and it made me wonder why 
and it's still one of the big questions I've always had with TCGs. Like, why do bad cards exist? I guess it's like for a challenge, but like, you know, why do crap cards exist? Like, you, I, you know, I got a pile of just chaff because I can't throw anything out, but I'm never going to play these cards. And I love Flesh and Blood, right? I, I got a pile of magic cards here. No one's, no one's going to touch these. No one's going to touch the... Whatever the hell I got over there. there. There's so many. There's 30 years of just garbage, right? That just comes out of those limited formats because they're, you know, it it forces you to pick, right? The super inefficient removal because that's, you know, in you know, it's a limited bomb because any removal is good, and all of a sudden six mana removal, you know, is like, oh my god, I'm evaluating this card, but it, you know, if you put it into constructed, it is you might as well set it on fire. Right, I've never quite understood how that how that translates into into a game experience, and and that translated into poor limited play. Right, I will say one of the one of the things I love about Flesh and Blood is that I've I've experienced that the cons- the game has a has a knack uh, uh, has the ability to scale itself to the format without losing its core tenets, right? So if you take, take, let's use Tales and Oldham, right? Oldham in Constructed, right, is built a certain way. Right? You have Ice, you have Guardian, your, your Guardian tenants are, are blue cards, Oldham is elemental cards. You have your Heavy Bombs that are red on top, you have predominantly blue base, you do... Oldham things where you play with the elementals. You want certain. You got to make sure your ratios are good so that you have your right, the right amount of blues, right amount of fuses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you go down to from constructed to blitz, it doesn't change terribly much. There's a slight variance here and there. There's a you know in blitz right now. There's like an aggressive, a mid range, and like a fatigue Oldham, but a, a lot of the same things carry carry through. I found in my limited limited experience that. Uh, it, when you open either sale, sealed or draft, you're not exploring completely foreign ideas. You're taking your heroes and the tenants and drafting or constructing from a sealed pool a lot of, you know, based on those core, the core game plan that was established already in construct in constructed, right? So if I'm opening a sealed pool and I have a large amount of good blues and a couple heavy hitters with a lot of defense reactions, it's a natural progression for me to try and put Oldham together and likely have a successful deck. And it will not play that much differently than it would in other things, with the exception of playing these uh, suboptimal cards, right? You're, where you might only play the blues or the reds, you're going to be forced to yellows. Some of the, you know, some ideally blues are now your reds, and that's where you can get kind of your limited bombs into. But, like, there's always still going to be, like, scar for scar blue, right? There's only so many. There's Benji, and then there's nothing else, and it's really filler uh, if you need something. You know, it makes Katsu Kadachis go when you absolutely need, you know, need a blue. Which to its, you know... It's not a dead card. It's not a garbage, garbage card. It's not the best attack in the world, but in the right scenario, um, it does it does what it needs to do, regardless. And still, these cards still hold a hold a uh, hold a role here. Um, 
what is your in in flesh and blood drafting have you found there to be any basic principles that you're able to maintain like if you're going into a new draft environment magic has had what bread whatever is bombs removal something 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 is there something like that in flesh and blood for the experienced limited player like do you as experienced limited players have one of those types of systems when looking at a draft for newer players to help translate into better picks it's a really I think good a question. good way to yeah i think a good way to approach it is well uh i don't know if we'll be able to make brag bread but uh equipment is important and um recognizing which equipment is good is is very important and you have to realize that it's going to be a lot weaker than you're used to and constructed right you know you look at something like deep blue in tales of aria that card was mm-hmm. was amazing in, in limited mm-hmm. yeah you never i mean you rarely see it in any constructed tables so that's and another thing is generic so uh, equipment and generic and staying open is so important uh in flesh and blood for the first half of the first pack right basically until you get uh until and into the really specific cards because it does cut off at that point um tell me tell me about staying open what do you mean by that so you, you want to stay open you want, you don't want to uh you don't want to like pick exactly what hero you are drafting right away so if there's some generics right i think scar for a scar is in this set so that's a great first pick i would say red scar for a scar you pick that this is going to be good regardless of what deck i'm in most most likely and you know you want to take the next couple picks to kind of feel it out you know it signals are a tough thing in flesh and blood draft uh, this is something that uh, that is talked about a lot in in magic drafting where you kind of can f- figure out who's in what which archetype at the table now in in flesh and blood draft it's a little tough because there's especially in uprising there's three heroes eight people so it's probably going to be something like three three and two or 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 like four two and two something like that uh usually if it's four two and two i hope you picked up the signals that there's four other people in in a certain um uh, archetype but that is uh not going to be as clear-cut because everybody's kind of fighting for similar things um but then, then you gotta figure out the kind of vanilla test of a lot of these cards. You mentioned that a lot of these cards suck. You know, they're not, they're not good. They're not, they don't serve a purpose in the rest of the game. But you have to figure out what's good. And I think knowing your breakpoints is good, and, and and knowing what is a good rate for your blue, right? Blue is so good. You need you're you're gonna need at maybe sometimes 50% of your deck needs to be blues. And um, you got to realize you got to make sure they're they're going to be good at the end of the game um, after you've pitched them. So those are just some like quick things I would start thinking about. And you know the main thing is read the read the heroes um, before you start drafting, so you know exactly what they want to do. It's usually pretty clear cut. Uh, you 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 brought up a you brought up a term there. Uh, I'd like to expound on signals. Tell me tell me about signals. Well, you know, you okay. Let's say you you get past a, a pack, like I don't know, halfway through the draft, and and you you're just looking through it, and 
there's a lot of ice cards left. Not a lot of draconic. You can guess that the the player, a couple players to your right, are probably on fire dromai, and maybe a signal right there is. Uh, and this is assuming this is pack one. This is a good time to jump into Icelander because I know for a fact, pack three when it comes back to the left, um, they're going to be passing me more good ice cards. Um, that that's a, a a signal that I would say is pretty going to be pretty clear cut in in this upcoming format. I will say in my in my very first tails draft that did take place in New Jersey. Um, and I, so I do love fab limited. I do love, I, I, I crap on limited a, a lot, but I think I get flesh and blood limited, right? I think one of my, uh, uh, one of the parts that I would have to get better on is the, uh, not just signals, but I, I think I still have to evaluate cards in a limited environment slightly differently than I, I would. But the tenants still, you know, stay the same. Scar, a red scar for scar, a zero attack, a zero cost attack for four will, is good. A, a defense reaction that blocks for four is, you know, is good, right? Uh, those things happen. If you are on, if we, if you're drafting Lexi, right, you're looking for two things, right? You're looking for your uh, elemental cards to help with fusing, and you're looking for red arrows. Right, it, it, red arrows that cost one and attack for five. You're gonna, you, you know, you're gonna value. You're probably gonna value your ice cards at a, a slightly higher premium initially, and then fill out with your arrow cards. But we know Lexi has, you know, needs a certain threat density in all levels of the game. Right, I'm talking about scaling, uh, scaling how how the game can scale itself up and down right it, lexi in constructed needs to have a heavy threat density of of arrows that do something and hit hard enough so you see a lot of red you know your red arrows that cost one an attack for five and zero for four right a zero for three arrow usually doesn't cut it uh depending on depending on the format right so in in limited i can see that you know if the ice cards are not coming my way someone's going to be on ice but if i see a lot of red arrows being passed my way i you know i might be able to infer that uh lexi is open because i have the the ammo is coming my way right where that is in the draft position versus and i think in my draft i I immediately went, I did draft Lexi and I went red arrows immediately, but I didn't have any, <laughs> any elemental cards of any kind. There was no lightning. There was no earth. There was no, uh, there was no ice. There was only like glacial, glacial footsteps and, uh, elemental arrows and like entwine something. Right. So I, I had the pick of the litter, but I think for my first, eight cards i don't think i saw in any of those packs i didn't see anything that even resembled an element to it and that was super super frustrating and i don't know if i could do anything about that to be honest but we talked about signals um it's definitely something right so we know that each of these play you know each of these draftable sets they have a limited amount of heroes and i think what makes flesh and blood pretty cool is that you know you can identify those things right there's the card pools are such that you're you're gonna have your you know 
in Welcome to Wraith, you have your hero cards and like generic cards that might support your hero. So if your ninja cards are coming through, you know ninja's open, right? And you can expand on that in a lot of the a lot of these sets. And as these talents come in, right, we things are gonna get a little more complex, but at the same time, we know that you know, there's only so many ways to skin a cat in these limited formats in flesh and blood. So you're still gonna be able to to build decks that do the thing that your hero does, as long as you have a basic understanding of the function of that hero. I think it's safe to say. Initial impressions of what Uprising Draft might look like. You had mentioned, Tommy, uh, you might gonna see some signals that are going to put you, you know, depending on what you're going to see there, you might see half Draconic and half Icelander, and those Draconics might be split out. What do you guys think about seeing what you've seen thus far? How do you see an Uprising Draft happening uh right now me personally i I think it's going to be interesting um one one really cool thing about draft i've always loved is uh especially when when you play irl with cardboard is that it is going the the format will evolve right you know what we think um is the best draft deck uh, will change, I, I, I imagine, probably multiple times throughout Road the Nats and into Pro Tour Lil. Um, we saw this with Tales of Aria with, uh, you know, everybody's Briar, Briar, Briar in draft, and then, you know, bam, uh, Namvo kind of comes out of nowhere, builds a really cool defensive Oldham deck. And then, uh, and then, you know, going on from there, we saw some really neat um, stuff going on with, with like, Ice Oldham and and uh, you know Lexi coming out of nowhere because everybody was so focused on Briar and Oldham. I think we're going to see even more of that because to me, I think uh, Icelander is going to fill the similar role that Lexi has filled in the previous three hero draft format in terms of you know probably the less drafted, but we'll soon find out that she might be one of the best heroes to draft. So all of a sudden, people are going to be fighting over the smaller ice pool, and it's going to be really interesting. And uh, it might be wrong to do it, even though it is the best deck, which is is makes for a very interesting uh, draft format. And um, yeah, that's probably you know what I would expect uh, based on what I've seen so far. So uh, Tommy had some some insights on on uh, draft tenants. Adam, in your experience in in draft here um how what kind of strategies have you implemented to serve serve your drafting experience best so you said you you took down a draft skirmish um you 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 have some pretty extensive experience uh in in the high levels here what what are some of the things that you've been able to utilize um in previous drafts here to give yourself the most effective card pool so uh, staying like Tommy says, staying open is like in the early portion of the draft is really important until like first half of the first pack, you, you you need to really try hard to read the signals and kind of see what's going on in the table. And that can be tarred with the first few packs. So like I, I know when you, you first start off, it you maybe you, you pack one pick one some bomb and then after that you think well i now i want to try to make this bomb work now i want to try to force whatever i need to force to to 
to build around this card. And I think right off the bat, being okay with abandoning your first couple picks is very important. If I, you know, if I pack what, you know, Tales of Aria is still the draft set that's most recent in my mind. If I pack one, pick one, a Honing Hood, and then a couple packs later, all the lightning and ice dries up. Well, I know, I know full well, I'm not going to, um, to, to go into Lexi because, um, you're just, you're you're not going to get the quality of cards you need. And I, I think within that, there's, to go back to the concept of of picking or of reading signals um there's a few like really key things i like to keep in mind when i'm trying to read signals uh and if we look at a set like tales of aria you can read signals based off like the the class cards you're seeing but i found like in tales of aria reading the class cards is actually going to lead you down a bad path and it was the one of the best signals was the actual the element cards the 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 talented cards um you know if you're seeing early lightning cards well now you know briar might be a good choice or lexi might be a good choice or if you're seeing early ice early earth um you know you you follow the hero based off of the element or the talent card or over um over the class cards because there are more class cards in the pack than there are element cards and it was the element cards that people were fighting over if we look at another great example uh there was a um one of the first limited callings um was uh one by matt rod or one of the first limited callings for for monarch was one by matt rogers on chain and Matt Rogers uh, actually in an interview after that uh, that finals uh, or the the top eight draft for that uh, I think it was calling uh, Auckland. Um, Matt Rogers in an interview afterwards said he didn't know that chain was open until he actually wheeled an Aether Ironweave, and that was the signal he used to uh, to kind of hone in his pick. And that's when when we say like reading signals uh, and like where I try to find success, it's it's not just like on the face value of, oh, I'm seeing, you know, if we go into um, if we go into uh, looking at Uprising, even though no one's drafted Uprising yet, um, like your good signals, like say, for example, for for uh Icelander, it's not going to be the wizard cards. It's not going to be, um, it's going to, like, it's going to be the ice cards. It's going to be the cards that you, I believe she still has some fusions in, in her ice cards for some of her elemental wizard stuff. It's going to be the cards you use to fuse. It's going to be like the, the most sought after cards are, are going to be the ones that are going to be the best signals. So, you know, if you see a late, a late piece of ninja equipment, you know, when you wheel a, like when you wheel your pack, um, so pack, pick nine of pack one, you're going to get so much information out of that pack. And if you can identify that something wheeled, and when I say wheeled, that means like something went all the way around the table. Um, if you can identify that like something potent wheeled the table, that is going to be the signal you want to lean in on. 
unfortunately, like I, I do think flesh and blood limited, even though you can read your hero and um, that can be a really good um, indicator on like what kind of cards you should be drafting to, to try to, you know, build around the archetype that your hero wants to, to whatever your hero wants to be doing. Yeah. And unfortunately flesh and blood doesn't have the, something like bread that's as easy to follow at this mm-hmm. point. Like there, there just isn't no developed heuristic, but I think that's where, yeah, I found the most success. That was a really long winded way to say like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, that was good. That's, 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 that's the spice I was looking for. <laughs> so you did, you did mention, so to, to, to go back and I'm, I'm trying to just kind of flesh out how the hell I'm supposed to draft cards here. Um, you would mention that, uh, staying so both of you have said essentially the same same thing when you're starting out right stay generic until it's time not to you you had mentioned that matt rogers didn't you know saw not aether iron weave wheel back here what is what's this when do you stop when do you when do you stop going generic and go okay here it is so this is this is what i'm gonna do mathematically if we look at a draft mathematically, you're going to draft 45 cards. Out of those 45 cards, mm-hmm. you need at least 30 cards to be playable. And where this is really significant in Flesh and Blood, aside from, from Magic, uh, when you're drafting in Magic, you can draft maybe 20-odd cards, give or take 25. That'll be quasi-playable, and then you can just stuff a bunch of lands into your deck to fill it out. You don't have that same luxury in Flesh and Blood. So sure, you have cracked baubles, but cracked baubles contribute nothing to your deck. Um, now, uprising is going to pitch <laughs> until until you draw up at the end of the game because you you always see like <laughs> yeah, second and third cycles of the deck. You'll you, like I mean if you build around cracked baubles, you will draw up into four cracked baubles at the end of the game, and your deck will effectively mm-hmm. do nothing. Um, now that's a good point. Uprising brings a really interesting element, though, in the fact that we have token rarity playables. That Mm -hmm. does fundamentally change the math. But if we don't factor that in, um, you, like I said, you need, out of 45 drafted cards, you need at least 30 playables. So if you think about it, by the end of pack one, you need to be... By the end of pack one, you need to be damn well sure whatever you're drafting and you got to lean into it because if you're still being wishy-washy and like staying open by the end of pack one, you're going to have a very unsynergistic deck. Uh Got there. Um, So I think no later than pick nine, you should be starting to try to hone in what your deck's going to, well, like what hero at least your deck's going to be um any later than that if you're starting to make that decision in the beginning of pack two it might be too late um you might just end up with uh, a pile of cards that don't do what you want them to if that makes sense yeah no i i agree yeah i mean i i don't think i've ever been um past that pack one where where i've made the switch or anything like that though i did make a make a joke earlier with someone that uh, if I opened that new fabled um, in pack three, pack pick one, I would take it because it's that good and try to make my Icelander deck turn into a <laughs> deck <and get> <laughs> picks. Um, draconic but, Icelander. And, and, but the, 
but uh, you know, it, it's it's. Um, it, you you know what though? If you I open agree. that fable pack three, you drop out of the draft. You've already won. Yeah. <laughs> hey, all right, won. everybody. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Thanks for having I, me. Yeah, you you make some great points there, Adam, and 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 I think that. Um, another important thing to realize um, when you're drafting, right? And this is like, this is somewhat of a heuristic is, is kind of remembering what you've picked uh, mm. pitch wise, right? Uh, first of all, you're going to see your whole deck 30 cards is there's no, there's no doubt about it. you're going to see your whole deck almost every game, unless something goes terribly wrong. Uh, though, I mean, if, if five is really that good, maybe, maybe things will go terribly wrong. Maybe but, you're going to see all uh, 30 cards in a turn. Yeah. Well, yeah <laughs> maybe. And so you're going to see that whole deck and also, um, you know, it's just, it's just some nice, um, knowledge to have, right? So when you're picking cards, you pick them with intent, pick them with like, I want uh, to do this with this at this point in the game and this with this at another point in the game, right? You, you pick the blues that, that are going to be good later, or you, you have to keep in mind what's in your deck at all time. Cause it's going to be so easy to see all of it. Um, so also something worth noting is you got to realize what, where your hero is going to skew pitch wise right in tales of aria you you really had to like pick a ton of blues right and hopefully earth blues but like blues in general because a lot of that strategy was the fatigue titan's fist fatigue titan's fist and and we are it's a little more black and white in uprising it looks like i think both um and fire are going to be very red heavy it's pretty much in their their card text and Icelander is going to be blue heavy. Uh, it's nice that they've laid that out for us, but you know, going forward in other limited formats, uh, that's going to be worth noting. And you know, if if you need your hand to be, you know, two blues every time you draw up, you know, you want to have close to fifteen blues. And also, don't be afraid to add extra cards. I I always think it's fine to add extra cards in limited because you do see everything. Um, if you have more playables than 30. I'm going to give an example that hard disagrees with that last one. Um, <laughs> just because this, the, I, I, once upon a time, I would have completely agreed with that heuristic of like, it's okay to play more than 30. Um, in my nationals last year, um, I drafted this fire Lexi deck. Like I, uh, I got a late Voltaire and it was awesome. Game game one, game two, I ran my deck at 30 cards. And uh, I had a very streamlined deck. It did exactly what I wanted it to do when I wanted it to do it. Uh, in game three, I ended up getting paired up into an old him. And immediately, my gut reaction was, okay, I'm going to bring in the rest of my sideboard. I'm not going to let myself get fatigued here. What I ended up doing was bringing in a ton of cards that were unsynergistic to my deck, even though they were ranger cards. Um, they didn't fit in with my game plan. And I actually think if I had stuck with the 30 cards, my deck would have had the firepower I needed to win that match. So there are times where bringing in more cards is fine. If you have, you know, a 32, 34, 36, 40 card pool that is synergistic and does what your deck wants to do, yeah, have at her. But be mindful of the fact that 
you can bring in extra cards because you draft up to 45 cards and you can play your entire pool. You may bring in cards that are going to water down your deck and are going to prevent you from seeing the power cards when you want to see them. And I think that's just something to be mindful of. Yeah, yeah, you bring in a good point. Just, yeah, don't bring in cards to bring them in, um, I guess is, is the best way to state that. Bring them in with intent and purpose. But it just, just goes back to your point of, like, everything you're doing in Limited is with intent and purpose. Like, each card you mm-hmm. draft, each every decision you make, um, you, you can't... There was a very important lesson I learned playing when I started playing Magic, and was that, like... Don't don't just make decisions. Have a reason for why you're making the decision. And I think that's um, that is very th- that's a lesson that translates into flesh and blood, and definitely into flesh and blood limited. That's awesome. You know what? I think I'm ready to crack some packs. Pack one, pick one, expose elements. That's that's what I'm gonna choose. <laughs> <laughs> Next tales draft. I got that. Uh, the uh, that was my last card in that draft uh, in New Jersey. I got my last card was a had to have been like double wield expose the element. Expose the last. It was. I pack, remember passing it. Was, it. <laughs> it. It was pick fifteen of pack three or whatever it was. It was. I think I would have rather the token. It was foil too. It was a foil majestic. Was yeah, like, it was nice. Oh man! Oh, imagine yeah, being that used... poor, sad, lonely, exposed the element just going around Useless. the table. Nobody oh, wants god, it. Oh god, the saddest, the saddest <laughs> exposed the element. Some cards are not meant for draft. Um, non-majestic but potential. Imagine if you picked that exposed the element and you blew up someone's deep blue. How good would that feel? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> in the right, in the right deck. Oh, yeah. The the thing about flesh and blood that I love is that it does seem to have it, these cards, even outside of limited, seem to have a way to find a home eventually. There's you know there's heroes that love yellow pitch. There's you know now we have red pitch. We have six attack we have two attack we have three attack synergies happening um we you know we have all all sorts of cards across across the spectrum that uh are see a lot more use than uh in other in other tcgs and i can appreciate that right the the blue pitch three block right is huge so if you're doing you, you know your your blue i I was happy to see the um, the unboxing because looking at looking at the previews, I was expecting all red cards and then ice cards, and then <laughs> you were basically gonna have Dramai and Fi look like the exact same deck for twenty five to thirty, you know, twenty five cards, and then one's gonna have a dragon, and the other is gonna have. Uh, you know, a draconic ninja rupture uh, attack of of some sort, but everything else was just going to be draconic attacks looking for a combat chain because you could you can do them on both. So I was super happy to see a lot more, a lot more individualism in in the heroes. Uh, you know, in in previously unpreviewed uh, cards. Uh, when they when they were open, so I was happy. I was happy to see see that uh, 
But if you were, uh, yeah, so non-majestic cards, take out the majestic cards. It, what it, what are you looking for in a pack one? Pick one. Here, obviously, there's going to be some some bombs here. But what you've seen from Uprising, is it equipment? Are you looking at one of these Quell pieces of equipment? Quell seems really good. Seems really good and limited. Is is equipment in Flesh and Blood just a snap if it's the right one? Or, or is are there other uh, elements at stake here for a pack one, pick one scenario? My initial take is I think Quell is going to be very important in this format. So if I saw Quell, I'd most likely take it. Yeah, I think on like pack one, pick one, I'm unless like unless there's some ungodly bomb, like I'm trying to think of what I, I unfortunately I don't know the Dracon or the the uprising card pool quite well enough yet. Um but like short of short of an a legendary or the fable, I think I'm picking equipment. Um for pack one pick one. Um Yeah. Just because equipment th- is so much scarcer than playables. And good equipment. Yeah, and I so think that's far. that's week one for sure. Week like or maybe month one. You know, in in four months when we're drafting this, we get a little spicy and we start taking things that we want to do earlier. But you know, the the when when we're when trying to win, figure out the format. I think I think those quells are going to be uh, pretty sought after. I can't even think of a whole lot of majestics I would take uh, off the top of my head. Uh, I guess there's a couple cool generic ones. Um, the race also v pox i was looking and, at and then uprising the card is is probably worth taking first yeah from what i remember Definitely. i'm hoping to draft triple tomes of bombardment here that's what i that's what i want i'm gonna just have that in every every deck from now on is try to get triple triple tomes of bombardment so we're ready we're ready to to draft we're gonna break down uh cards in our respective mediums uh coming up here both of you are in vegas uh tommy team calling blitz who are you playing with and what are you playing if you are so bold to reveal that information i don't know it's such a secret um i'm playing Leviah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm with Logan uh, from Flesh and Pod and uh, a bud from the Buzz Discord. Um, his name's Anthony, um, Salty Sea Cat in, in Discord. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm just there to have fun. I would love to win some games, but I we might even have a, a, a genus what you need in on, on our team. No. Oh, God. Who knows what's, who knows what's oh, going on? Oh, no. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's not confirmed. It's oh, not confirmed, God. but... You know, <laughs> but if you see us at, at a table, um, oh man, oh okay, all right. Uh, this this took the wind out of my sails. Are they outside of Yorick? Genus, bane of my existence. Can't I can't wish Yorick was tournament oh. legal? Oh, oh, I would have so much fun oh, playing your terrible, would, terrible card. I would, terrible I would build a deck just out of oh, D-reacts man. and attack reactions. And I would just capitalize on whatever they put in the deck. I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> I, so have a, um, I have a friend that is 
obsessed with genus, has a UPF and Blitz genus, what you need, is convinced that it is... He knows it's janky as crap, but apparently it's got OTK potential in it. He uses a bunch of potions to and a slogism combination of some sort, but he makes it work and he kills people unexpectedly. I, you know, maybe it is expectedly at this point, but it, Gina, I, I can't get behind merchants right now. That's all right. That's all right. So have you how do you feel? Uh, how do you feel about Levia in in the the current meta right now in Blitz? Have you, you you've jammed some games? How do you how do you feel about her right now? Uh, you know, I to be honest with you, in the most recent skirmish season, I was on Oldham. I, I just I just wanted to go back to my roots here and, and play play scab skins and and blood rush bellows and and dread screamers and um. I, I, you know, I, this is this is true of Levi and in all of all of the formats that you can play her. I think she has the heat. It just it just has to come together. That's really all it is. It's like, you know, that's the mm-hmm. the inherent variance in the deck. So, um, hoping mm-hmm. it comes together, and um, I'll be in Vegas. So if it doesn't, it stays there. So that's nice. <laughs> oh oh, that was too clever that was too clever all right adam you are also going to to vegas what is your team composition looking like and what are you playing if you'd like to divulge that information yeah i think at this point i'm happy to happy to share that um so we're well, the team composition part, like, I'm happy to share that regardless. That's uh, that's going to be me, uh, Oliver Chen, who top-aided Canadian Nationals, and then his good friend, uh, Christopher Eng, who's... Uh, I, I haven't met Chris yet, but I guess Chris is quite the uh, um, the rules aficionado, so I, uh, I'm... I'm excited for our team. Uh, I am going to be playing Kano. Docker. How do you feel about Kano right now? I actually feel really good. Um, I think even at first when Kano lost snapback and lost stir, I thought, oh, Kano has been neutered. But um, the reality is, is Aether Wildfire is a very, very, very potent card. Um, And it is not hard to deal 20 damage and blitz with the Aether Wildfire. So the deck really only has the one win con, but um, I think it's a reliable enough one that... um, it can go the distance. What about your compatriots? What are they? What are they on? Uh, so Oliver, I believe, is playing old him, and uh, mm-hmm. Chris. It looks like uh, we're gonna be. I think he's fielding Reiner. So we're we're going for the big three. I, mm-hmm. I think you mm-hmm. can. I think you can refer to Reiner, Kano, and and old him as the big mm-hmm. three in in Blitz right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about uh, Kasai in the format right now? Would you is that number four or is it really kind of shuffle those four around? Kind of. I think Kasai is yeah probably number four. Um, I don't think Kasai is as good as people think she is. Um, the reality is is you don't like the moment you remove her ability or you you shut down her copper generation um it really shuts off blood on her hands and and that's enough to take her out yeah for for me at least um i i haven't like i haven't played a ton of kasai i won't lie 
but from the little bit I have played of really just any warrior in Blitz, it just doesn't feel like warrior has has the the gumption to go the distance. Like warrior can warrior's got a lot of tricks up their sleeves, and if you're not ready to play into a warrior, uh, they will wreck your day. But the mm-hmm. moment you know what you're doing into Warrior, I think the deck becomes a whole lot less potent. And um, yeah, I just I don't think Kasai's got the the legs to go the distance. Gumption is a solid word. I'll <laughs> give, you, give you that for Gumption. All right, excellent. Well, you know, I uh, I wish you both the best of luck uh, in Vegas. I hope you have a good time. I hope you stay hydrated. Uh, make sure you wear your sunscreen. Uh, I hope you see some celebrities at the pool party uh tell uh matt folks and Tarek that i said hello uh when you see them is matt folks um, in vegas do we know that uh no you know what maybe he's in madrid maybe he's doing that would make more that sense one. that's a little closer yeah, to home yeah. for him <laughs> but if you do see him say say hello uh for me i do think there's a couple uh yeah T- Tarek patel yeah, Tark, uh, recent guest of there. our podcast, soon to be guest on the Fresh and Buds podcast, possibly in Vegas. Uh, Ooh, if, in if Vegas! Goes, if it goes Tark's way, sounds like so. <laughs> I tell you what, that man is not afraid to interview. Uh, he just <laughs> get whatever the situation is. Uh, he he is clearly demonstrated the ability to just say, "Screw it, let's talk flesh and blood." <laughs> let's. Well, what am I doing? I, I think I'm pretty sure he locked himself in a closet away from his dog for an hour and a half so that we could talk to him. And that is an admirable uh, thing uh, to to do. It was cl- very clear. Uh, and he was he was ready to to give it all away until we talked him off the ledge about the 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 gold cold foil there. But he <laughs> was ready. He was just it was it was great. Great, great conversation. Super uh, can't say enough good things about about uh, about him and his uh, his thoughts on on the game. That's that'll be a good one uh, for you. Um, so why don't we uh, take this opportunity to uh, tell me uh, and the audience and the world here what you got coming up? Plug your plug your plug your stuff, Tommy. Yeah, sounds good. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much. This was fun. Um, now you guys are you, you i can call both of you good friends at this point which is awesome and i'm, Likewise, I'm glad yeah, to have yeah. gotten gotten to know you and i'm glad that we get to hang out so much at least in the online sphere and hopefully more in, in person going on forward but um this was fun and uh any any chance to get on my soapbox about limited uh i will take uh, mm-hmm. or anything flesh and blood to be honest but uh you can find me on twitter at fresh buds pod my podcast is fresh and buds both of these fine gentlemen have been on it and they will be on it again i'm some at some point and uh you know i i talk about anything flesh and blood uh whether it's getting deep into some meta stuff or just you know, talking lore with uh, people like Dead Summer Art and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, you can find me there. Uh, Fresh and Buds on YouTube. Uh, Spotify, it's audio. So Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get it. Um, and then there's the, dis- the Discord, the Buds that both these fine gentlemen are also in. We we hang out, we jam games um, and, uh, and talk all kinds of nonsense as well. So, yeah, that's all um, wherever my links are, my link tree on my Twitter. So, yeah. 
thank you guys. We will we will be throwing a bunch of your links down on the description yeah. when this uh, this comes out. And uh, once again, we are you know we are buds. We're part of the Bud Network, <laughs> and it is the a Bud Network. Testament is what I was looking for way earlier in the conversation. It is a testament to your uh, your cultivation of the community. You are one of the flesh and blood pillars of the community. You've helped bring you bring people together and you 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 are one of the people that have helped uh, other content creators rise up with you. Your openness to it, allow us into your house and others around you, uh, you, you know, and we can't help but to gravitate towards you. And that you're just, uh, you, it, we're happy you're on our side, you know, I it's, appreciate it's good that. To have you. Yeah. It's what it's all about. It's just like the buds, like friends and stuff. So it's just like, that's what it's all about guys. You know, it's, <laughs> I do, some I games do, with some, some buds. I do like that. The more, because you're get you're 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 growing. You're you're getting you're getting out there more and more, and uh, more and more people are questioning the title and whether or not it's about. I get a kick out of it every time. I just hear like, oh, you know, yeah. I could have sworn this was about one thing, but it's about friendship. It's about friendship, guys. It's, I swear, I swear. Yeah, yeah. That's, we're just we're just really good friends, man. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we uh, we should plug our stuff as well. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> so you can find us uh, on YouTube at the Combat Chain YouTube channel. Uh, I will be, uh, we've been posting uh, Blitz Primer videos. I just put up once again uh, a uh, I just posted Dorinthia. Uh, you can see a deep dive into Bl uh, into Briar Blitz. Um, there, you can see a much abbreviated version of that Briar uh, deep dive as well. Um, I am planning one more if I can get it out on Bravo Blitz, so that people have some different deck ideas coming into Vegas here. Uh, so I am trying to pump one more out there. So find us on the Combat Chain YouTube channel. You can find us streaming wherever you stream your audio uh, podcasts. Uh, you can find the Combat Chain at the Combat Chain on Twitter. You can find me at Pat Smash Good. And Adam, where can we find you? At Farm Toolery TCG. Oh, yeah. All right, Tommy. We have one last thing, and it is the outro. So... Uh, I am going to say until next week, and we're all going to say together, we're closing the combat chain. All right. Hey. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I think that's going to do it for us. So until next week, we're closing the combat chain. Oh, God, it's beautiful. It's like, it's just like poetry slam, just smooth jazz in my ears the whole time. I love it. It's great. I love it. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That was fun.